welcome back to my channel. We are here to talk about the teacher shortage, which is actually what we started this podcast to talk about, and we have strayed. I don't think we have. I think it's all related. It's been my priority the whole time. I mean, we do talk about We talk about it a lot, <laughs> but, like, the thing that we're talking about today, like, incentive programs and, like, shit that, like, people are doing to try to get teachers back. It's like we started out asking, like, every guest being, like, hey, would you ever go back? And, like, what would it take to oh, get yeah. you to go back? You know what I mean? And now we just talk about why people are leaving. We st- gave up on the going back. I went back. That was enough. That was I enough mean, of an impact on this podcast. <laughs> Honest to God, I've, I've been, like, redacted his back, so we always have a teacher in the room. Achieved. Ding. Was there today. Wait, right. So, wait. Did you go back yesterday, the day before? Yesterday was our first day back, yes. Mm-hmm. So far, I, it's going better than last time because now I, like, know things. Well, you have a different group. Kind of. Okay. So I, I teach three classes. The first two are AP. So those classes, a lot of the kids just switched between first and second period. Oh, okay. So I know them all, but it's a different group. Mm-hmm. Third period is my regular class. That is a whole fresh group of children that I've never met in my life. That's exciting. The principal made them sing me happy birthday, and they looked so awkward because they don't really know me. God damn it. You I did this to me last I hate when people tell me happy birthday. I think it's so awkward. You did this to me last year and I you're not gonna get me next year, bitch. <laughs> I'm coming for you. So I do I came with statistics for once in my life. You're usually the statistic queen, but I, I love a I'm statistics ready. moment. So after seven years of increases in new California teacher credentials being obtained or whatever, this is the first year of decrease and is a 16% decline. And no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> we're getting You don't say less and less teachers every year. There were 25% fewer new multiple subject credentials issued in 2021-2022 than the year before. New special education credentials declined by 12 and new single subject credentials, which is mostly for secondary school or high school teachers, went down 7%. So we knew this, but uh, it's always good to see data. Um, USA Today has reported that 86% of public schools are struggling to hire educators. Nearly 9 in 10 public school districts struggled to hire teachers heading into this school year, and uh, it's worse in elementary school than any other age group. Interesting. Yeah. I can see that, though. 45% of all public schools reported feeling understaffed. Uh, you're feeling that way because you are. Yeah, exactly. You feel. Don't let them <laughs> gaslight you. Don't say, "Oh, I'm sorry, you feel that are way." Are you guys feeling overstaffed? No, we are understaffed. <laughs> what do you mean that's... feeling? I don't see understaffed on the feelings chart. Oh my god, and it's worse in low poverty. Oh wait, I just connected the dots on that. Oh my god, it's so much worse than you think it is. I Tell figured me. out why. I figured out why teacher exodus is worse in low poverty areas. I know this is not the case for everybody, but a lot of people live in the general area that they teach in. So I bet the reason that it's worse is because in a lot of low-income areas, the teacher is the breadwinner of the house. But in most high-income areas, teachers are not the breadwinner. Also, they would have more networking opportunities with other high-income earners to find other careers. If you're a teacher in a low-income area, you probably don't have a ton of other economic opportunity around you. Or you're just not aware of it. You know what's interesting is in California, I would consistently have to commute like an hour, an hour and a half to work in the morning. Yes. I wasn't even working in like an affluent school. But my friends and mentor teachers and stuff who would teach in like a low poverty, affluent 
school, they were dinks, you know, dual income, yeah. no kids. Their husbands worked for studios. They they were teaching for fun. That's who I'm talking about is that demographic. Yeah. <laughs> would love to be a part of it one day. Oh my God. Can you imagine? There was this one girl who I would not qualify her as my friend. She actually was a huge bitch to my face multiple times. Um, I'll save it for hater time. She had a government issued classroom at a private school that she literally sent all of the existing furniture into storage and she bought like a catalog of beautiful furniture. It looked like a pottery barn threw up in her classroom. Everything matched. How does it feel to be living my dream? Everything was white and teal and gorgeous. I know. Anyways, that's like the landscape that we are seeing and they're collecting data to prove it. But there are schools and school districts who are doing a lot of different shit to like retain teachers. And we found some of them and rounded them up and we can pick them apart. And decide if we think they're good or not. Yeah. My district's actually doing a lot of this these days as well. What are they doing? So one thing, this is I think their strategy, which I'm actually really, really into. I know it's hard to give teachers raises because it has to like go through a million decision makers and people's so they keep just giving us random bonuses that's fun like a little treat out yeah I get, love that because like it's a lot of work to give us a raise, but I think bureaucratically speaking, giving us a bonus is a lot easier. I don't really keep up with my former school's union anymore, my former district's union, but when I was home last year, I got a random check for $900 for back pay for something that they had fought for. And I was Period. like, okay, amazing. When I was teaching in Miami, I had very idealistic views of how a union works because mm-hmm. I thought that they would be good at being a union. They were not. So me and my little can-do attitude waltzed up into that union meeting to really share my valid concerns about how I was worried that we were going to lose our certification because so many of the younger teachers were not joining because it was very, 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 very expensive and the union had not gotten a raise for us in like a literal decade. And I genuinely went in thinking they were going to be like, oh my God, and like, listen to me. They did not. I was not allowed to speak at that meeting and they did threaten to have me removed. I didn't even do anything that bad. (laughs) I literally didn't even do anything that bad. I believe you. That's crazy. It was a while ago. And literally the union people looked at me and they're like, we've been running a union. We're not going to lose our certification. We know what we're doing. Like they were so nasty and so rude to me. Guess what motherfucking union just lost their certification? No. So it's not officially that they lost it, but their membership dropped below the threshold and they just had to resubmit. So like if they go by what the threshold is, they are going to lose. But who knows? Maybe they'll change it or give them an exception or an extension or something. But this is like might be evil of me, but Loki, I hope that union like fails because it's so corrupt and so bad and just serves the business interest that I want the union to fail and dissipate so that a new one can be built because I think it's beyond repair. The whole point is that it's going to serve educators and help. So that's the way the cookie crumbles. It is. And I hate 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 that for us but here we are well hopefully this like wakes them up though even just like the fear of losing their certification that they're then like oh shit probably they're gonna be like miss redacted was right no they're gonna call you they're probably not going to they're gonna cry i was not the first and i'm sure i was not the last person that they removed from meetings for having an opinion sounds like my hoa but that's a whole other conversation so let us begin with montana they adopted four-day work weeks to better recruit and retain educators 
Nice. I like that. Yeah, more than one quarter of the schools in the state as of last school year were operating four days a week. According to the NEA, the National Education Association, Montana is last in the country when it comes to average starting teaching salaries. So they don't make a lot of money, but they're saying, here, we'll give you a four-day work week. Isn't Montana also last in like cost of living? I'm pretty sure they're really affordable because a lot of people from California go there and then Montana has like a really big vendetta against Californians, like historically. They don't like us. Interesting. And if you watch Yellowstone, they like refer to it a lot. I need to watch that. I watched the first season and then I like fell off. Yeah, I watched the entire first season on the way to and from Washington, D.C. when I was with Jay and then that was it. Did she like it? I mean, she was like in an ergo asleep facing me. And then I had Yellowstone behind her head, but highly inappropriate for (laughs) a child. But it's like a, it's like a, like a soap opera for men is how I would describe it. Yes. Have you seen Ozarks? No, but is it the same kind of thing? I haven't seen enough of Yellowstone to tell. I will say Ozarks has well-written female characters. In Yellowstone, they're just like the sexiest, like always kind of naked. That's kind of the vibe I got. Like I've only seen season one, but when Beth was like, I have to save my father's farm. Like you're not going to leave your high power job. Be fucking serious. I was so confused. No spoilers, but there was a scene when Beth was like naked in a bathtub and her brother was like there there was like some relative and then she like went outside and there was like more men around and she's just stark naked and I'm I, like, I do remember seeing a scene of her like walking out getting naked and then like sitting in a tub literally in a field with like an entire crew of men right there and I was like this is something that every man goes to work every day and genuinely hopes that this is gonna happen <laughs> and she had like a bottle of alcohol yes I was, and she's like oh was, my god but no one does that like no be real when you feel that way you're not gonna go sexily sit in an outdoor tub you're going to be in a pink bathrobe covered in cheese it crumbs crying yeah it's like so female characters written by a man coded that like yeah. it's very interesting i was like i'm good i think after this season like i don't care if a woman's naked the entire movie but i just want there to be like a reason yeah like we need a plot driven reason for the nudity yeah I other feel. than for men to literally look at this i personally person. don't think that that's too much to ask. Anyway, so we're back in Montana talking about the education system. She's bad today. A small detour. So their accreditate, the way they did this was their accreditation requirements changed from 180 school days, which is what we know as a school year, to 1,080 hours. The first year that they did this in 2008, they only had 30 schools operating on any type of alternative schedule. By the end of last school year, more than one-fourth of the schools in Montana operate four days a week. I mean, I think I would really like that, but I know that that's such a logistical challenge for parents. Yes. But I do know that like some schools in California, for example, They're on four-day weeks, but they're on a full-year schedule. So they go all year, so then the parents don't have to deal with the summer issue. Yeah, like they don't have to find childcare as much over the summer, but then they have to do one day a week to figure it out. One day a week. So the question that somebody asks in this article is, how does this benefit our students? And teacher working conditions are student learning conditions. And if it's better for teachers to be there four days a week and get their shit together on the fifth day, then... That benefits students because teachers have ample planning time, ample time to give feedback on submitted assignments. Like, this is a parent who said that. 
Oh, no, it's not. Who the fuck said superintendent said that? The superintendent wants to know how it benefits students. And if you don't know that, sir, superintendent, I need you to... (laughs) (laughs) Mac, cut that out. Golly gracious me, oh my. So the the other thing is, like, this district, Montana schools pay so fucking low that the only way that this district can compete is by saying... Hey, we have a four-day work week. Hey. And I, I would love that, personally. I would love that as well. They also have raised salaries by nearly 16%. Bus drivers and kitchen staff also received pay increases just to make, they said, just to make sure they didn't lose any money because of the switch. Oh, because kitchen and bus people get paid by the hour. So mm-hmm. I guess they just like adjusted their hourly to make it not. Yeah. That was smart. We love an HR. Whoever in HR was like, we need to do this. Good for you. And the students are reporting having an extra d- weekend day gives them extra time to keep up with schoolwork and also fit in other extracurricular activities. And, you know, that's really important for kids in high school who are like, like my brother wanted to get into Ivy Leagues. It is insane what they do, what they go through, like the resume they have to build. As someone who also wanted that and was rejected, it's very hard. (laughs) Or athletes or what have you, like I was doing the arts. It would be really nice to like have an extra day to stay on top of your shit. I've always said the weekend needs to be three days. One day to relax, one day to do fun stuff, and one day to get shit done. Yes, and teachers are saying like, okay, well, it's a little challenging to figure out how to condense all the standards that we teach into four-day instructional Mm -hmm whatever because not although the model that i mentioned before is a year-round model that's not necessarily the case it says though the days are longer four-day school districts lose about three and a half hours of instruction each week and nearly 85 instructional hours each year students are performing lower in math and ela that's not saying that these can't be successful it's just saying that when you transition a school from a five-day to a four-day model like you need to do a little bit of a better job supporting the transition you can't just do the usual thing hey guys figure it out (laughs) which is what they always do we believe in you you can wear jeans too if it makes you feel better they were like oh on the the fifth day you can wear jeans because you won't be at work (laughs) jeans pizza we heard pizza would fix it it didn't Better luck next time. Some some schools have support Fridays, which is an 8 a.m. to noon targeted intervention that is available to all students and the school bus workers and cafeteria workers work that day. So I, I mean, overall, like, I really like this one. Uh, yeah, like, it feels like, is it perfect? No. Yeah. Did they do, like, the best they could with the best of intentions and, like, actually tried? Yes. Yeah, and I'm sure there are outliers. Like, I'm sure there's people in Montana who are going to listen to this and be like, actually, I fucking hate it and it ruined my life and I quit. Someone's going to be like, my kid used to know how to read and now they don't. Why can no one read? Can't figure it out. Wish we could. <laughs> This one is giving $15,000 stipends to student teachers in Pennsylvania. $15,000 stipends to student teachers? Mm-hmm. Oh, I really am into that. Yeah, I had to apply for a TEACH grant and I think that was only $2,600 a semester. That's literally nothing. It was horrid. Like the $2,600 is a lot for a bill, but not for a stipend. It was brutal. An aspiring teacher who left college due to finances had re-enrolled and was trying to figure out how he could afford tuition while working an unpaid 12-week student teaching requirement. This instructor said the student 
burst into tears when she told him that a state-funded stipend could be available to help him. Aww. This was, like, the whole thing that allows this guy to become a teacher. Oh, I'm really happy for him. I know, me I'm too. I'm sad for everyone else. It's so important that we're supporting student teachers. If we want people to go into these credential programs... Give them money. They need to live. <laughs> I understand that teachers are not the only profession that have unpaid internships. Like, I'm not dumb. Like, I know that. But, like, if we're going to have a conversation about why people aren't becoming teachers, that has to be a part of it. When I was a student teacher working essentially for 12 weeks at a student teacher assignment, first semester, it's a half day. Second semester, it's a full day. Then you're going to class at night, every single night. And even in the, when you're working a half day at a student teaching assignment, what are you going to go work for four hours, if that, and then go to class? until 10. Well, I feel like the only feasible career that you can have outside of student teaching is like an MLM. $15,000 though, like I could see living on that. Yes. Not living well. No. But definitely alive. Definitely alive. And like, I remember when I was in school, I mean, I was living in like a shoebox. I was not living large when I was in school for teaching, but like you you just want to cover your rent and your food and your car payment. (sighs) They call it chipping away at the problem. That is a perfect, perfect description. I feel like sometimes we like scoff at small solutions or we're like, well, that's only part of the issue. But we need to like celebrate the wins a little bit too. Yeah. That's why I like have a semi-controversial take about like the jeans thing sometimes where I'm like, we should be able to wear whatever the fuck we want. But like when my principal would see that we're having a really shit week and they would be like, hey, we're going to cater lunch on Friday or hey, we're like wear whatever you want, like have a dress down day. Like that actually did make me feel better. Yeah, I get what you mean. I didn't feel like they were saying this makes it all better and this is going to fix everything. But like, I know what you mean, because I feel like because most things, most teacher problems are not within administrators control. So I do feel bad for them for being in that position. So when they do something like that, it's like, I'm happy you did something that's within your control. Like that did make me feel nice. What I react violently to not literally, but emotionally is when schools charge teachers to wear jeans. Oh, that's bullshit. It's like, if it's like you guys can wear jeans, I know it's been rough. Like for the last two weeks of the semester, my principal was like, wear jeans, do whatever you want. Thanks for your hard work. And I was like, that's nice. You didn't have to do that. But if he had charged us. Oh, it's that's asinine in my opinion. It's insane. Yeah. Anyways, that's what chipping away at the problem also reminds me of. It's like morale fucking sucks, but like. We can do this. Anyhoozle, Pennsylvania is doing some cool shit. Like I really appreciate that like in these red areas of Pennsylvania, that there are people like actively working to change the tide. But Pennsylvania has a really, really good teacher education training program as well. Like a lot of people in Pennsylvania go on to be teachers. So it's like to see that the state is investing in student teachers to allow them to really focus on what the hell they're doing and not have to figure out like how am I going to feed myself my family how am I going to pay rent like live yeah it's not extravagant basics of the human experience um, Pennsylvania State Education Association president says that paying student teachers a modest stipend will remove a heavy financial burden on the way to becoming a teacher but kind of fun, fun, fancy way to get new teachers into the profession. It's Redacted's turn to pick one. So I opened How Pandemic Era Emergency Teaching Licenses Diversified the Teaching Profession. Yes. This is kind of giving me the same energy as that Betches article I wrote where I basically said, you got to start giving people that are not just upper middle class white women teaching licenses. Mm-hmm. So in a recent study, researchers from Boston University analyzed Massachusetts's, that is impossible to say, <laughs> 
temporary easing of traditional certification requirements. Intended to prevent a teacher shortage during the pandemic, the policy seems to have succeeded in expanding the supply of interested and diverse individuals. Almost every state requires teachers to pass at least one exam to obtain an initial or provisional teaching license. Prior to the pandemic, Massachusetts required teachers to have a bachelor's and a passing score on the Massachusetts Test for Educator licensure. However, in 2020, they made it possible to have an emergency teaching license without passing the test. So you still had to have a bachelor's, which is very reasonable, but you didn't have to take their standardized test. Candidates who obtained such licenses could hold them till June 2023 and could extend them an additional year if they were actively pursuing a standard license. Overall, 12,407 individuals received the new licenses, a 13 increase in the number of people receiving licenses for the previous school year. 5,800 of those of individuals obtained the emergency license. Teachers hired with an emergency license were more likely to be black or Hispanic than those with a non-emergency license. Finally, the overwhelming majority with the emergency license, 86%, planned to stay in the teaching profession and obtain a non-emergency license. 19% of respondents indicated that the cost of the test were too much of a financial burden. So that's the thing. In some states, it's expensive to take the test. In Florida, it wasn't that much. I don't remember. It was like $80. So not like groundbreaking, but not a dollar. Yeah. I remember ours is like, it wasn't crazy expensive, but we had to take like 11 tests. Yeah. So they And in some states, up. it's very expensive. It could be like, I've seen them be over a thousand. Yeah. And especially if you have to take more than one. Or if like, you fail it, you have to take it again. Oh my God. I know. Plus that yeah. doesn't even include like, are you going to buy books to prepare? Are you going to take a class to prepare? Like most people can't just walk in and pass that. Well, the CSET in California was the test could be on anything that you learned from like fifth to 12th grade or something like that. And then there was a child development section. And then there was like a music and arts section. It was really intense. It was a lot. I'm scared. It was like playing an extended version of Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? It's like the the death round of Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Yes, it was very stressful. Oh, and 40% of the people who got the emergency license said they could not pass the test. So that's another thing. Some people are really bad test takers, which I have very mixed feelings about where people are like, you don't have to be a good test taker to be a teacher. You can be an amazing teacher and be a terrible test taker. And like, I am with you there. However, our education system is based on standardized tests. So I think if you are a poor test taker, you need to work on that because you got to get the kids to pass because do I think that's how they should be measured? No, but it is. And your job that you were hired for is to help them. So I think being like, you can still be great is just such a lazy cop out. It's another one of those things where when you're a teacher, sometimes you have to like pick your battles, right? Like you have to think, okay, is it better that I am in the classroom serving my students to the best of my ability and trying to fuck shit up and make change where I can? Like to be present in the classroom system right now, you have to kind of swallow the shit for a second. And like there's stuff that's quote unquote necessary evils because while we want the system to change, it's not, you know. And I mean, from like a structural perspective, like if I am in charge of education in a state and my education policy doesn't have teachers taking a test, but does have students, I'm not creating a system for teachers to effectively serve the objective that I created. Like, I don't think it's a good objective, but if the school system has decided that's the objective, it's like a touchy topic for me because I like know people personally that have been in the situation 
situation where it was, they had to take it so, so, so many times to pass. And then I watched them with their students and they were like, I don't care about the EOC. There's more important things than that. And I'm like, babe, they got to pass this to graduate. Like, yeah. I know it's not important to you, but like, you should not be in this position because you're not equipped to effectively t- teach people how to pass a standardized test, which is unfortunately what we're doing here. Like when we talked to Naomi O'Brien about literacy in general, like you're ruining their lives. Yeah. It's shitty. Yep. But then it's also the issue of like if your students have to pass this test to get into a certain class, to get into a AP, to graduate, like all of these high stakes standardized tests, they're awful. We don't agree with them. Yeah. But like you're doing your students a disservice if you just totally disregard it because then like we go are here? you limiting their choices yes. in their own future and we want like a choice filled future for our students and can we give them that if we're like who cares it doesn't matter who gives a shit about the sat yeah. not me we don't want to cause undue stress like kids with test anxiety deserve support we can mitigate all of these things that make standardized testing extra awful in the moment while arguing for systemic change and serve our students. Still recognizing that standardized testing is unfortunately a critical component of serving your students. I've seen a lot of educators do this where I don't think they're doing it consciously, but it's a lot easier to rationalize to yourself why it's okay than to put in the work to get good at it. Where I've seen a lot of teachers rationalize to themselves why standardized testing isn't important and they're actually a better teacher for not emphasizing it and like create this story in their head and I'm like I think you just created that story because you couldn't bear the thought of having to get good at this thing that brings you a lot of anxiety that really you personally struggle with no I hear that my my thing that I always think about too is like okay like if we're gonna complain about it like we also have to simultaneously be doing things to fix it yeah my mindset is never if we don't like something we just don't do it or we ignore it or we wish I it pretend away. we do not see yeah because that doesn't work <laughs> and that's not that's not effective like sometimes i know that we need to like pivot or try to affect change in some smaller way but throwing it out the window and being like fuck this like that's not (laughs) that's not a solution it's not a real answer it's like when you're fighting with somebody and they're like well fine i'll just never talk to you ever again and you're like that's not what i'm saying that that is the (laughs) fucking perfect analogy so i so for the what massachusetts did about taking away the requirement I give it a 6 out of 10. I wish that they had just made it free because a lot of people said it was a financial burden. And this is not isolated to Massachusetts. This is extremely, extremely widespread. Many states are reducing the requirements for not only full-time educators to become credentialed teachers, but also for substitute teachers to kind of put a band-aid on the teacher shortage they are saying okay well we won't require you to do x y and z i know that california has really stripped back the requirements in our state for example and now if we're going to talk about the ed tpa i think the ed tpa is a load of fucking shit and it's trash and i don't think it helps (laughs) anyone i think it is classist i think it is (laughs) i think it is absolutely get them bullshit and anybody who's had to take the ed tpa will probably agree with me like it was so so pointless so i fully support that shit going away anyway yeah and that's i think at the very least like the least that you can get out of having to prepare for a standardized test as a teaching requirement is remembering what that experience is like and having empathy for your students because i to get my 
provisional license in my new state, I had to take a history one and it had world history and US history. And even though I hated it and it was kind of expensive, I was really glad I had to do it because I suck at world history. So having to study, I was like, wow, this is really awful. I forgot how terrible this is. Yeah. It's like when you're in med school and they make you do the tests on each other. Yes. Like when I was pre-med and they were like, okay, today we're doing your analysis on your peers. And you're like, I'm going to throw up and die. It helps. <laughs> it's good for you. I know it doesn't feel like it. Oh, I, this one, I was excited when you sent me the URL for this because I was interested to see what this was. Struggling to find teachers close to home, some Texas schools are looking overseas for help. Yes. I, oh, I'm fascinated. Let's get into this. So like many school districts, the Aldine Independent School District near Houston has struggled to find teachers to fill its open positions with local, state, and nationwide searches yielding limited success. Like how the Vegas people came to Miami to try and recruit teachers. That didn't work. <laughs> so the district expanded its search parameters. Since last year, Aldine ISD has recruited 76 teachers from Colombia, the Philippines, and more than a dozen other countries through Teach USA, a cultural program that connects teachers worldwide with Texas public schools. So it should be called Teach Texas, not Teach USA. Not to nitpick, but <laughs> that feels like false marketing. Like imagine you sign up for Teach USA. You think you're going to go to like New York, Hawaii. You're in the suburbs of Houston. Oh so as Texas continues to grapple with the chronic teacher shortages and with little help from the state mood, districts like Aldine have creative solutions, like leaning on programs to address their staffing needs. Muzo Unlu, the vice president of Global Education Concepts, the company that runs TeachUSA, said more districts in Texas have reached out about bringing international teachers. Aldine ISD, which is the district we're talking about, their human resource director said that the 58,000 student district had between 400 and 500 teacher vacancies last year. And for the 22-23 school year, this is a little bit older article, the 22-23 to 23 school year, their first year hosting international teachers, Teach USA helped districts fill positions for the special education classes, bilingual elementary school courses, and English and literature classes at the middle and high school levels, but the district still has about 150 vacancies. This approach is not just filling vacancies, but it also supports our kids. Our kids are not only learning, but they're learning from the culture and where these people are coming from. Um, while visiting teachers can teach most subjects, they said they are highly qualified and gravitate towards critical shortage areas such as bilingual special education and math and science. That makes sense. I feel like it would be easier to teach bilingual if it's your language, obviously, and it'd be easier to teach math and science in a foreign language. I feel like teaching like ELA in, in your second language would be hard. Yeah, my newcomers, my students love being in math class because math is the freaking same everywhere. They're like rocking it. So I'm sure teaching it is similar too. Um, they're interviewing a teacher visiting from the Philippines. She teaches ELA and English as a second language at a middle school. She said she relates to her ESL students from Central and South America who are also adapting to U.S. culture. She said that the biggest difference is how time-bound and rigid the American school system is. For example, she and her students have a 30-minute lunch break each day, and in the Philippines, school lunches lasted two hours. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know she's mad. There's no way that they told her that before she got there. 
Um, and she said, everything is given, whereas in my country, teachers provide everything that we need to use in the classroom. Here at the start of the school year, it's like a shopping mall. We get everything we need from the office and it's free. I'm really glad that you had that experience and I have terrible news for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, she like, she's also not had a car. Like she's, she's struggle bussing. It's like, great. You get stuff for your students, but like, are you, are you okay? Wait, where'd you see about her car? I don't know. The transition was not easy in the beginning as she adjusted to her new surroundings and found herself without a car. But don't worry. The HR director will help you secure necessities like a social security card and a cell phone. The HR director does that? Because each international teacher is matched with a point of contact. So I guess the HR director gets the point of contact and then the point of contact helps with that. It's interesting that they repeatedly in this article mention that this is not just another way to fill teaching positions. But repeatedly, they basically say, it is. this is just to fill. Yeah. yeah. They're like, it's not because of that. That was our motivation and the but result. that's not why. But that is not our why. They do say it several times. I So first, the HR department lady says, I definitely see this being a growing norm for districts because they struggle more to find staff than smaller districts. However, a spokesperson for Houston ISD said they do not view visiting teachers as a, quote, staffing solution. And they say it again at the end. Uh, if... School districts look at it like, oh, this is just another jobs program. They're going to get themselves crossways with the intent of the program and with the state department. If they look at it as just another pipeline to fill an HR requirement, they're going to have some very serious challenges, which sounds very ominous, but I don't know what that means. I would give a million dollars to have been in the meeting that preceded the interview for this article. (laughs) I know. It's very, very carefully worded. I can tell the spokesperson... Definitely followed the script. I think the HR person was a little realer. There's another article about this saying that Texas relies on international teachers more than other states. So Houston, which we just read about, has 60 teachers from this international exchange program. Dallas Independent School District has 232. Dallas International School District's Executive Director of Human Capital Management, which I hate when they refer to employees as human human capital. capital. They said um, hiring international teachers can cost districts more and is a cumbersome process, but it's worth it so that the students have a teacher in front of them on the first day of school. Like this is just so clearly a means to an end for them. It's wonderful that people can come over and get teaching experience in America. It's wonderful that American teachers can go there, but at the same time, I think it's, it's beneficial like, for kids. Like I think kids, it's good to have a diverse teachers throughout your life and learn from people from different cultures and perspectives. Mm-hmm. But it really just feels like they needed to fill the position. Yeah, right. It really is reading that way. So. One particular student benefit is that across Texas, about a fifth of public school students are learning English as a second language. About 48% of DISD's students do not speak English as their primary language. And most of these international teachers are bilingual. So like right away, like you're serving that student population and that's really important. So over the past decade, the number of Texas students speaking a language other than English has grown by about 40%, but the number of teachers serving that population has only grown by 30. So this is Mm. like one way to like 
keep up with that ratio. See, like, this feels like an intentional reason to do international recruiting. Like, that feels like, okay, that's not just, like, a staffing thing. It's like, you're like, okay, what's a creative way? We don't have a teacher population that's bilingual. Like, how can we handle this? This this one about Dallas, they really go into, like, the process of becoming an international teacher, and they explain how grueling it is. It could get really weird and spooky and, like, human trafficky, exploity very quickly, I think. Yeah, and I, I feel like Texas, the way that they, these articles are reading, it's just like Texas be Texasing, you know? These yeah, are the same really, people that took really away hard. libraries and decided that. To replace them. What did they replace them with? Like discipline centers? <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They called it something crazy, but it's basically like go sit in what used to be the library and look at the books and think about what you did, but do not read the books. <laughs> if you touch the book, an alarm will sound immediately. I love how that superintendent guy was like, you know, we're not taking the books. The books are still there. He's like, the books are literally there, dude. They don't know how to read them. Oh, it's so bad and sad. What do you rate the international recruitment as? I feel like I have to rate it like a five because I feel like there are ulterior motives that are very sneaky and gross. Yes, that's what I was going to say. If we're just going on like a concept, I give it like a seven. But if I'm yeah. going on the vibe I get from these people, I give it a four. Yeah. Like on paper, without their commentary, I feel like I would be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like I have friends that go abroad to teach and fucking love it. Like they yeah. love teaching in other countries. And it's so cool. But I don't know. I feel like some of these people are being held hostage in Texas. No, like I, I kind of want to call this lady. Be like, are you? Are you okay? No, I really want to interview these teachers. I want to know how it's going for them. I'm also really eager to see like student outcomes. I wouldn't be surprised if the kids did a ton better. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did worse either. Because I can see like both sides of it. I can see where it's like, oh, you have a person with like a different perspective and a lot of energy who understands how difficult it is to learn English and probably wants to make a good impression. So they're working super hard and like y'all slayed. And I could also see like, oh, we put someone in the classroom with not enough support who's also experiencing culture shock. Absolutely. Like the way they were discussing it, it makes me feel like, okay, well, it's better than no teacher at all. Yeah. Which like, there's that's not the only choice. <laughs> Yeah, plus <laughs> teachers aren't human capital. They're humans, and students are not human capital. They are also humans. So whichever way you cut it, you got people in there that you got to think about. And it's like, do do these teachers feel like they're being valued and that their culture is being celebrated and shared? Or do they feel like, hey, here's your keys. Thanks for being here. See you. Never. Bye. Here's your keys and your little tiny American flag. Welcome to our great nation. Yeah. Sorry you don't have a car. Good luck. The teacher down the hall doesn't have a car either, so. Maybe y'all can talk about that <laughs> on the bus. Oh, it's so bad. So I, I'm glad to see people are trying to fix the teacher shortage. I was not blown away by any of these strategies, I'm going to be honest. I the, the chipping away is the best way I can put it. But like, as always, we need, we need policy change. Like, it's got to be so much bigger than this and higher than this. We're like digging a mine with a fork. You know, I, it's admirable that districts and ad administration are really trying to get creative here and like figure it out. But I think Pennsylvania, with the legislation that gave the $10 million stipend to student teachers, like that to me is like the correct level of urgency. Like that is my favorite one we talked about, I think. Like that one felt the most like thinking long term and thinking immediate, doing the most to solve the problem. Like that one really checked the most boxes for me. Yeah. It's like without sacrificing the quality of the teacher training program, 
we're going to support the people within it that really want to be here. I mean, you got you have to invest into teachers. You have to. You really do. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for coming. This has been another episode of Teacher Quit Talk. Um, thanks for quitting. Thanks for talking. Thanks for teaching. Toodaloo. Kisses. Mwah.